Welcome back, my friends, to another episode of the Shema Podcast. I have a topic I want to be discussing today, and it's on this relationship between Amuna and Emmis. And my sources of this are going to be continuing to pull from Rabbi Kiva Tat's book, the Ramchal, and the last several weeks' Torah portions. But I wanted to first let you guys know that I'm not recording this like I normally do. I am on a Zoom meeting with an amazing group of people. And I wanted to tell you a little bit about this class because it's going to give you some background. It's like the, if you were to get a documentary on Rabbi Yokoff Wilby, the backstory, it begins with this class. And it really lends to this whole idea of this marriage we are trying to cultivate between Amuna and Emmis in truth. Many years ago, when I first started learning Torah, I learned the truth about Torah, and I was sitting at home studying by myself. And in the merit of the, the rabbi of this reform synagogue, Dan Gordon, he said, you really need to be studying with other people. And so he gave it a go, and he introduced me to Rabbi Ari Wolby. And we did a class in the evening. We had Rabbi Wolglinter come out and do a class on Musar and on Talmud. And then we had Rabbi Cohen come out and do a class on Kabbalah. But Rabbi Ari called me up and said, look, there's some, a problem here. <laughs> like, you're not getting enough people to show up to this thing. You know, I can't have Rabbi Cohen drive out there just to teach you on some occasions. So we, we can't continue this. I need a guaranteed, I need a minion, at least a minion, to make this thing happen. So some time passed by and I realized at the synagogue, there was a time during the week where all my friends showed up that I wanted to learn Torah with, and that was on Sundays. That's when everyone dropped their kids off for Sunday school. So I called up Rabbi Ari and said, give me another shot. I know how I can get an audience for you. And he said, that's great. He goes, matter of fact, my younger brother, Rabbi Yokoff, will be, I just hired him straight out of yeshiva, and he would be fantastic to teach this class. And so I would speak to Rabbi Yokoff, will be, and he said, what do you think we should teach? What subject would you like me to begin with? Because I have a six-part series that you guys want to do. And I said, they need to learn about God. And he said, we want to start there. And I was like, I'm telling you, I just got finished reading Ram Hall's The Way of God. I'm telling you, Jews do not know about God. And that's what everything needs to start with. And so he started this six-week series I remember I would sit by the door and as the people start to leave after they drop their kid off, I would stand there. I was like, just come inside. You can have coffee here and we can learn together. And it was amazing seeing the people just glued in, listening, hearing about their creator and why he created the world. And when that six part series was over, the chair of the educational committee and, and those who are the, the OGs of this group that were there back then know that. I started sending out emails to the entire congregation under the title of adult education advocate, which you should know, I never went for board approval for this title. I just assigned it to myself and started sending out emails promoting the subject matter that he would be teaching, trying to you know get people to show up and learn. But after that six-part series, the chair of the educational committee said, okay, this is coming to an end. You have a great audience. What do you want to learn next? We you know the rabbi in? What subject do you want to teach? I said, let me just bring it back to the class. It's their choice, right? And she said, of course. So I went back to the class that morning. I said, this is the last of the six-part series on discovering God. 
would you like to continue the class? And they said, yes, of course. I said, we get another rabbi come in. It's like, no, 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 no. We want Rabbi Yokoff Wolby. And I said, how long of a series would you like to do? We get another five-part series, six-part series. And they said, they looked at me astonished. And they said, no, we want every Sunday series forever. And I'm telling you, this class, my friends, has gone on every Sunday with the exception of Yom Tov for over 10 years now. But it's this whole idea that when they heard the Emmis, they remained faithful to it. And that's sort of the subject here. But there's, there's more of the story I want, I want to share real quick because, you know, one of the things I want to be getting into is this week's Parsha, Yisro. And I want to tell you a Yisro story. So one of the things that happened over this course of time as we were doing these classes, I ended up getting introduced to Rod Bryant. And this, my friends, is a fascinating story. Rod Bryant was a minister at a very big church out in Kingwood where we lived. I think he probably had thousands of members and he was pursuing Emmis, truth. He didn't like the fact that the church was saying, well, just have faith and that's the way it is. Don't research it anymore. He said, no, 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 I want to know the Emmis. I want to know the truth. So he, he sought out a rabbi and started learning our Torah. And when he realized and learned that the Torah does not congeal, it doesn't really align with what he was learning from the church, he gave it all up, just like Yisro. He walked away from this position a great honor, prestige, salary, retirement package, and said, I just want to pursue the truth. And there's many people that are leaving the church because they're tired of saying, don't ask questions. And he has brought on this huge B'nai Noach movement. He knew his calling in the world. And now you see this group getting together every Sunday, B'nai Mitzvah, B'nai Noach, learning Torah together. And it's a prototype for what the world is going to look like in the era of Mashiach. So it's a great honor to be here. Welcome to the Shema Podcast, the podcast for the perplexed, where Torah insights intertwine through personal stories, as well as interviews with leading Torah scholars demonstrate the empowering qualities of Torah and mitzvot. For more great Torah learning through Torch, the Torah Outreach Center of Houston, go to torchweb.org. Now to the show. Before we go in and explore this whole relationship between Amuna and Emmis, we need to do a little recap of previous episodes, previous concepts explored in order to work our way down to this idea properly. So at the foundational building blocks of this concept are fresh in our mind. We've discussed in the past the initial desire that was created by our creator to give to another and the creation in order to receive the ultimate pleasure the creator wanted to bestow upon him was that the creation wanted to give back to the creator. But I want to add some additional elements, thoughts around this idea. And that is why did the creation our collective neshama want to give? And this gets to the deeper meaning of this because what the creation, us, what we wanted was really just a deeper relationship with our creator, with Hashem. And how does one forge a deeper relationship? It's to align themselves and be like their creator. If their creator is one who gives, then we want to give. 
as well, because what we truly want is the creator. But another idea came to mind, and that is, if the Torah is the blueprint for creation, as it is, and the creation began with a creator bringing in to existence a will for himself to want to give to another and create another in which to bestow that goodness. And then the process of creation itself would be one to where the creation or collective neshama would have the ability to give back. And at that stage of giving back would complete the creation. So my idea was this. I had a theory that the Torah, that the Torah should have as its book ends this concept. And when I looked into it, my friends, it definitely does. The first word in the Torah is Bereshis, in the beginning. The last word in the Torah is Yisrael, our collective neshama. Yokov is our forefather, the synthesis of Avraham, kindness, Yitzchak, din, judgment, the perfect balance and harmony, those attributes they brought into the world and they synthesized within Yokov, the physical manifestation of this idea, and he would bring into the world the his spiritual aspect, which is Yisrael, and that is who we all are, and we're all contributing components to that collective neshama. So what do we have then? Bereshis in the beginning, Yisrael at the end. In the beginning there was Yisrael. But I went even further and explored the first letter in the Torah is the vet or the bet. And the Kabbalah say that letter symbolizes duality and the giving over of blessings. And the last letter in the Torah is the Lamed. And the Kabbalah say that signifies the one who reaches out to spiritual heights and to learn. And there we have it. The Torah begins and ends with this very idea. So now let's proceed to how Hashem went about creating this world, something we've discussed before. It was through the binary code of his revelation and his concealment of himself. Various combinations creating everything that exists in the heavenly and the physical world in which we reside. And within the concealment is where our free will exists. And then through that free will is where we are able to fulfill our deepest desire to give back to our creator. But there's one more idea, a building block that we need to understand in order to really grasp this concept of the coupling of Amuna and Emes. And that is through the understanding of masculinity and femininity. Many guys I have talked to are surprised that when you look at the attributes of chesed, kindness, and gavora or din, judgment, they're surprised to learn that chesed, kindness, is masculine, and gavora or din, judgment, is feminine. They would think would be the opposite as women are so much nicer than us. And I agree. I think this really gets to what kindness and compassion truly is. By understanding this role of masculine and femininity in all areas of creation. We can start with the metaphor of the reproductive process. During that process, 
masculine gives over up to 100 million potential DNA sequences for life. And what does feminine do? She says, I need to call through all these available options and I'm going to grab the one, or in some cases, two or three, if people are blessed with twins or triplets, etc. but typically one. And that's what I'm going to nurture. I'm going to take all the energy you provide and all the different available options. I'm going to narrow it down to exactly what needs to be nurtured and brought out into this world as a new life. The perfect individual that needs to come into the world now to help reveal our creator's kingship. And we can take this to a relationship level as well. You know, I was recently learning in the Mishnah, the laws of Kasuba and the laws of Levite marriage. And I was seeing how we used to get married at a much earlier age, 13, 14. I was thinking about 13-year-old Dan getting married. And I brought it back around to this very concept of masculinity and femininity. If at the age of 13, I had met a young woman and said, I would like you to be my wife, she would say, well, how do you plan on fulfilling the kasuba in the area of providing for me? And I would have said, I have so many potential, amazing ideas. And she would say, let's hear them. And truthfully, these are the ideas I had <laughs> at age 13. I would have said, for one, I was thinking about being a garbage man because they have the coolest job. They get to drive down the road hanging from the side of the garbage truck. I mean, how cool is that? And the other thing I noticed is they only work one day a week. I mean, that's an awesome gig. And she would say, share with me some more ideas. And I would share with her this idea I had of being a lead singer in a heavy metal rock band and how I could grow my Jufro out to be like that of Gene Simmons of Kiss. And I would get some really cool spandex and at the end of my concert, I would sing a heavy metal love ballad that the dudes would hate, but I would do it anyway out of my love for you. And she would say, continue. And I would say, I have many more ideas from all my favorite TV shows. I mean, I was thinking about being a motorcycle cop, like the guys on chips. We drive around on our motorcycles, solving crimes, and all the while getting to wear very cool shades. That would be awesome. Or, I have another idea, I also like that show, Kung Fu, and I think I could be like him where I travel from town to town using my Kung Fu skills to liberate the oppressed from the oppressor, although I'm not quite sure how to monetize that one yet. And she would say, continue. I would say, I also like this show, Family Ties. It has this character, Alex Keaton, and he's so passionate about learning economics and finance and investments. And throughout the TV show, he works towards and ends up pursuing a career on Wall Street. I like that idea. And she would say, okay, anything else? And I was like, yes, I saved the best for last. My favorite show is this one called BJ and the Bear. You see, BJ is a trucker. Bear is his riding companion, who is a chimpanzee. And they get in all types of crazy adventures together during the time they're out delivering their goods across the country. And Feminine would say, 
okay, these are all great ideas, full of enthusiasm, so much potential, so much variety. But what I am going to do is I'm going to nurture the idea of you being like Alex Keaton and cultivating this interest you have in economics and finance and investments. That is the one I can bring out in you and help actualize your potential in fulfilling this obligation you would have with me through the Kasuba Agreement. Now, I would probably respond back, well, I got one more idea. If you really like this Alex King idea, I could build on that. However, I could pursue a field in finance and investments, but I could have a business partner who is a chimpanzee, and we get all types of adventures together on Wall Street. And she would say, no, we're we're excluding the idea of the chimpanzee. We're not going to keep that in the womb of ideas. I'm just going to have you focus all your energy on actualizing your potential in the world of finance and investments. And that is what feminine does. It narrows down all the potential options and brings out into the world exactly what is proper and necessary at that point in time. Another idea that we've discussed before that I want to bring up again, but build on it more. I've been contemplating this a lot lately. And it's this whole idea about time. We discussed it in the past. Rabbi Kiva Tat said it's as if time became bent when we internalize the Yetzirah. We can no longer see the consequences of our actions. But I want to bring a little more clarity to what this means. I want to bring it all back to the building blocks that we've established so far. As we discussed so far, the world was created with concealment and revelation. But what I'm going to discuss further is that what may seem astonishing to you is that revelation is associated with gavora, judgment, which means concealment is more kindness. Chesed. How do we know this? Because in our sitter, we are praying for God to reveal himself in this final redemption. But we are also praying in the Shimon Esrei for Mishpat, judgment. So therefore, if more revelation is more judgment, then the opposite has to hold true. Then more concealment means more kindness. And this really helps us understand this concept of time that we learned in the last episode with the help of Rabbi Akiva Tatz. As I also mentioned in the beginning, within the concealment is where our free will exists, which means in the revelation is where our free will is diminished. So in this bandwidth between concealment and revelation, as throughout history there's been periods of great revelation, and there's been periods like now of great concealment. In the more concealment, there is more kindness and more free will because of the following. All of our actions have consequences, as we know. Reward and punishment, a central part of free will. However, the gap in time between the action and the consequence during periods of greater concealment are extended. We can't see them. If there is more revelation, then that gap between action and consequence would be shrunk. It would be less time would elapse. You would commit a sin, something horrible would immediately happen. You get struck by lightning. You do a mitzvah, like we're at tefillin, and all of a sudden, something really good happens. Millions of dollars come floating in out of nowhere into your lap. 
obviously, when this is taking place with instantaneous reward and punishment, there's no free will. The more concealment, the more that gets delayed. I mean, we see even now, we know that the members of Hamas that committed those atrocities on October 7th will get their due. And I'm not even talking about what the IDF will do to them. I am talking about what Hashem will do to them after the IDF is done with them. But we don't see those consequences. There's a delay between the action and the consequence. And I would say that delay is patience, the level of patience that Hashem has. But however, when he is showing more patience with the Jewish people by creating more concealment, more delay between action and consequence, he's also allowing that free will to reign with the opposite side of evil, which creates even more of a challenge for us, but that's where the opportunity resides. Let's talk about time more because when you think about the fact that through this world of revelation and concealment and where our our opportunity resides in the concealment, where Hashem gave us the ability to reveal Him in that concealment, this entire world He created that He wants so dearly to exist with and more fully with us, and He said, but the keys are in your hand. The Jewish people, you will choose whether I come into that world, whether you make it and align it like the world I created in the heavens. So since a process is involved, it means time was a necessary manifestation of a process. And we can get to the ways in which we understand the world. One of them is through hearing. And hearing is something where we comprehend things over time. We have to hear each letter Each syllable, each word, each sentence, they all unfold over a period of time. Sight is something where we immediately know and comprehend because we get a pure snapshot of everything in totality at once. That is why a witness at a base den needs to see what took place. They can't just hear it. It's why when we say the Shema, we say, hear, O Israel, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem is one. Hashem, the aspect of God that provides loving kindness, blessings, and Elokeinu, the aspect of Hashem that provides retribution and punishment, it's all one. It's all out of kindness. However, we don't see that in each moment. We either see kindness or we see retribution. We don't see that they all unfold into being all kindness. That takes place over time. And this is why when you learn about what took place at Mount Sinai, when Hashem revealed himself and he gave to the entire Jewish people the first two mitzvahs, it says the world stood still. The animals stopped moving. We saw the sound of the shofar. What did that mean? We saw sound. Everything stopped moving. Well, it makes sense. Because with that tremendous level of revelation of himself, perfection, with imperfection, there's no room for improvement. A process to perfect is not necessary and therefore time can't exist. And when time can't exist, there's no room for movement. That's why the world stood still. There's no room for sound to transpire over time because there's no room for time. So we saw sound. Now that makes sense. But there's another element of sound that's different. It's music. It's song. 
in the Parsha a few weeks back, as the Jews cross through the Sea of Reeds, the waters come back down on the Egyptian army and Pharaoh, and the sea spits them out onto the other side of the sea in front of the Jewish people, in front of us, showing Hashem making it very clear that who we thought had power, the Egyptians and Pharaoh, they had none. He destroyed them in front of our very eyes. And this is why the only natural outcome that took place was the Jewish people engaging in song. Let me first explain this with an experience I had. When I was dating my wife, she was an opera singer for the Houston Grand Opera. And before we go on dates, she would often sneak me in to the opera rehearsal, and I would go sit in the Wortham Theater by myself and watch the rehearsal. I loved the rehearsal more than the actual show, and here's why. During the rehearsal, I would hear the orchestra practicing before they began the rehearsal. And the conductor would have each component of the symphony play each types of instruments playing in isolation, allowing me to hear each of those instruments by themselves. So I knew the sound they made in isolation. And then the chorus master would come out and have the different voice types of the singers in the chorus sing. And I could hear their sound in isolation. But when the rehearsal began and they joined in harmony together, what I heard was so amazingly beautiful. But more important was I knew that what I was listening to would not be possible with each component part, each individual working in harmony together. That is what the Jewish people saw when they stood at the Sea of Reeds after crossing through and seeing the Egyptians destroyed. At that point, they saw Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem is one. They saw how every event that unfolded was entirely necessary and perfect and harmonious in bringing about the redemption. The time when Moses went to Pharaoh and initially asked to let them go when Pharaoh's response was to create even more hardships on them with labor, they now understood how perfect that was and necessary it was. Every event everything that had taken place in their individual lives and collective lives, they saw it was all perfect, all harmonious, all working in tandem together as one beautiful whole. And that is why song was the only natural expression in that moment. So now let's bring all these concepts back to this idea of Amuna and Emes, two qualities that, like the other things we have discussed, possess qualities of masculinity and femininity and need to be paired together and nurtured. Amuna is feminine. Imis is masculine. This pairing between the two, to understand it more clearly, is that Amuna remains faithful to the Imis. Through our pairing of this relationship of remaining faithful to the truth, this is what will bring about the final redemption. You see, masculine can explore all types of ideas, jumping from one to one, thinking this may be true. Oh, this may be true too. This may be true. Amuna holds on to the actual truth, the actual emis. And you see Jewish women doing this throughout our history. They are the ones that were, are responsible for really bringing about the final redemption. You think about 
Miriam's father who made a decision that if Pharaoh is going to kill all the Jewish male babies, then he calculated he, that he should separate himself from his wife to eliminate the risk of having a son and have it only being killed. But Miriam remained faithful to the truth, the emiss. She told her father, Pharaoh is only killing sons. You are killing sons and daughters. And with that wisdom of Miriam, the father got back with his wife and from them was born Moses. If you look at all the sins, like the sin of the golden calf and all the sins in the wilderness, the one group of people that did not participate in any of those was the women. They remained faithful to the emiss. And throughout Jewish history, like during the period of Hanukkah, the heroine of the story is Yehudas. And in the holiday that is emblematic of our period to now, Purim, where Hashem is totally hidden, but still operating behind the scenes, our redemption at that point in time was led by Esther, who remained faithful to the Emmas. So here's what we need to consider individually. As this relationship of remaining faithful to the truth is what is necessary for each of us to contribute towards the final redemption and bringing about Mashiach, we need to ask ourselves, are we remaining faithful to the Emmas, the truth? We just went through Parshas where Hashem demonstrated his power over nature through the 10 miracles for the Jewish people and the 10 plagues for the Egyptians. Have we remained faithful to that emiss? Do we think nature has independent power? Or do we know that everything in nature comes from Hashem? It's simply a way for him to interact with the world. During the time of COVID, I asked every Jew I knew, why do you think Hashem created this pandemic? And many Jews were surprised by the question. And they would ask, well, why would God do such a thing? And I would come back to them. I don't know. Why do you think? And they were befuddled. They would say, like, I, would he really do that? And I'd have to stress, yes, of course. To think anything other than that is to dismiss the entire exodus from Egypt and the Ten Plagues. This is an MS that we need to stress to our children at Pesach. That's our obligation. It's why we repeat these concepts regularly to remember the exodus. We have to remain faithful to the emiss. Nothing in nature happens independently of our creator. And in this era of concealment, we're met with more challenges because to think of such things by many would be considered to be ideas of a simpleton, low IQ. We would get mocked by the outside world to think such a thing. But that's where the opportunity comes back in to, to give and remain faithful to the emiss. Another idea Hashem allowed the Egyptian empire to look like they wielded all this great power. And all the while, Hashem was just allowing them to live in this illusion that they actually had this power. And that's why Hashem allowed them to build themselves up and exert themselves over the Jewish people solely so that Hashem could then take the Egyptians and destroy them in front of their very eyes to show the Jewish people, to show us today that there is no power other than him. So the question is, have we remained faithful to the Emmas? Or do we think these evil despots around the world today, Hamas, Hezbollah, these awful drug cartels coming out of 
South America and Mexico, do we think they have independent power or do we remain faithful to the MS and know that Hashem is the only power and he is just allowing them to exert some free will right now until like in the first redemption, he will take away their power and show them that they are nothing and destroy them in front of the entire world. But it's our job as Jewish people to remain faithful to the MS now. There is only one power. I mean, you look at every experience, every emiss given to us in the Torah, the giving of the Torah itself, the time in the wilderness where he provided our food, our mana straight from the heavens, water from a rock, providing for our clothes, growing them on our body, cleaning them. Every need was provided by our creator. In this concealment where we can't see exactly how he's orchestrating all the events to allow those us to obtain all our needs, are we remaining faithful to the emiss, the truth, that it all comes from him? So this week is Parsha Yisro, a perfect storyline, of course, it's the Torah, but now it makes sense why it follows these last several weeks worth of Parshios. We've been exposed now to so much emiss, and now we go to Parsha Yisro to see what it means to have Amuna in the emiss. Yisro explored every possible idea. He sought truth. He explored every type of idolatry possible. But when he learned about what had happened in Egypt and through the Sea of Reeds and the miracles, he immediately knew this is the Emmas. And he immediately became faithful and had a Muna in the Emmas, discarding every other idea he had. That is our task, my friends. And as the stories of our redemption from Egypt provide the prototype for what the final redemption will look like, there is a key difference. During the first redemption, it began with us being in the 49th level of defilement. And really, you look at all those miracles, everything he did to care for us, giving us the Torah, the key word there being given, the Torah, everything was Hashem giving to us. Now let's go back to the beginning. What do we truly desire? To receive or to receive in order to give back to our creator? And that is the beauty of the time period we live in right now. This time period, our time period, our lives is what we wanted from the beginning. When he's concealed, free will is expanded. This is the time that we can now reciprocate. We can initiate the final redemption. It begins with us. It doesn't come from a top down. We pull it down. This is the time to reciprocate. This time, our lives, think about that. We often look back at these stories in the Torah and it's like, wow, wouldn't it have been amazing to live then? And yes, it would to be able to experience that. Although we, we did either in a different lifetime or our souls experienced that before they came into a life. But this lifetime, our lifetime, this is what it's all about. This is where we get to reveal Hashem. When there's more concealment of Hashem and more free will, that's where the opportunity resides. With us, we get to fulfill that deep desire that we had from the very beginning. I believe, my friends, this concept 
will change, hopefully, perspectives on this time of concealment, which so much anti-Semitism in the world, so many evil people exercising their free will. But now by contemplating these ideas, I hope that you will see the beauty in it. You will see our role in it and remain with Amuna and remain faithful to the truth to marry and build the relationship between Amuna and Emmis. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting Torch so they can continue to spread Torah wisdom to the world by making a donation at torchweb.org and clicking donate in the top right corner of the page.